market. The S&P, stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is proudly Australian and partial to a little too much Vegemite, even when it is foreign-owned. I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. I come from a land down under. You sure do, my friend, as do I, as do 24 million of our compatriots. There you go. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk, well, in honour of Australian Day, we're going to talk a little bit about foreign investment, and we've got good cause to do so. What, What tune is that? Down under. Oh, right. Come on, stick it with you, dude. What you, you You're going to learn to hum you a lot better. You failed Australia 101 right there, oh, my friend. I don't know where that fell, you lie. That's a school for you. So, Vegemite and Violet Crumble, <laughs> Australian you know, brand icons, yes. are back in Australian hands. They are. Let's talk about that. Yes. Uh, and let's talk also about some investment rules. Yes, the rules of thumb from the likes of Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch. Great rules. Yes. But rules that can go bad. Rules we'll that talk- are made to be broken? We'll dig into that one. Speaking of Australian companies, <laughs> BHP. I like the way you did that. You like that? Okay. BHP and Whitehaven are locked in a flight, fight that looks bad for everyone. Man, that is just a so off key. No, I don't hear that at all. No, 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 no. Don't give up your day job. All right. Mailbag. We've got some great questions that we failed to get to last week. We're going to get to we'll do our best, uh, I promises, <laughs> to get to them right. this week. And my turn to get on the old high horse. There so we go. Without further ado, mate, we um we saw some news recently. Uh, Vegemite. There is no brand that you know epitomizes uh, Australia more than Vegemite. And for a while there, it was owned by Kraft. It was, and for a long time. Kraft isn't an Australian company. It's not at all. So there was a real irony there. But Bega, which is an Australian company, yes. has bought it back. It has indeed. A little while ago, Vegemite is now back in Australian hands, as well as Kraft Peanut Butter, which, while not necessarily authentically Australian, was kind of one of those things that we kind of liked. And was yes. about, our peanut butter, really. Let's be yes, honest. yes, it totally Other was. Maybe Dick Smith probably had one, but, you know. Didn't go so well. They're back. They're back home. They're back in Australian hands. Yes, they back are. in the bosom of Australia. Uh, and yeah, not only Vegemite, Violet Crumble. It's a way that shatters that matters. Oh, I love a good it's Violet back. Crumble. I love a good Violet Crumble. Too. That's better than Crunchy, right? I totally better than Crunchy. hundred percent better. <laughs> so up until recently, yep. was owned by Nestle. Yes, the big Swiss giant. Yes. Now they're selling it back to us. Robin Menz out of South Australia, a company mm. no one ever heard of. I certainly hadn't. Nope. They make some other bits and pieces. They are now the proud owners of Violet Crumble. We are buying back the farm, I tell you. We are. It's back in Australian hands. Back in Australia. Thank God. So here's my question. Yes. So bloody what? That's going to sound horribly that's unpatriotic. A very, that's a very Australian, Australian way to put it, Andrew. I like that a lot. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm, I, I love my country. Very proud Australian. Yes, you are. Why do I care? <laughs> That it's that these these brands are owned by an Australian company. Why wouldn't you? It's, it's better if it's ours, right? Like it's our thing. Well, it's not mine. I don't own it. No, no, but it's ours. Like it's it's what some other guy owned. or company that's registered here owns. Yeah, it. yeah, but but it's ours. Like it's. A, so where is it actually manufactured? Yeah, good point. Well, it's going to be manufactured in, in I think South Australia. In so wasn't it? Uh, what I thought for a lot, uh, a lot of it was manufactured here anyway, wasn't it? I know. Yeah, it always was. Yeah. So they were paying Australians as wages. Yeah, no, but, but it's ours now. It's ours. <laughs> Don't you, Jay? Oh, okay, <laughs> this has gone on way too long. 
So what? You told me this shit can't keep going. I, I just. <laughs> it's been a very it, it long can. podcast. It can, but it, <laughs> you know me it way too well. It All right. So, so here's the thing. You, you raise a good point. It, it's. I think I probably ranted on this at least once before, but yeah. it was probably a long time ago. Yeah. And frankly, I like to rant a lot, as, as our listeners know. And I won't rant because it's not my high horse. But <laughs> it is worth turn. it is exactly it is worth having a look at what foreign investment kind of means for a country. And I think we can kind of get stuck in this selling off the farm thing. Mm. And I think it's a very you know, there's a whole lot of stuff in life, and you talk about behavioral finance last week. There's a whole lot of stuff in 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 life that feels like the common sense answer must be true. So yeah. if we're, you know, on one view, if we're if we're giving out part of what is ours to somebody else, then they own some of us, and so we have less of it left. Mm. And that kind of feels just instinctively like a bad thing somehow. Mm. That you know, if, them. If, if if Bluey owns the farm, or if a Vietnamese or Chinese or Kiwi or or Pom owns the farm, then somehow we have less of us left or mm, something. Mm. And I kind of get the concept because it does feel a little bit like well, that. Aren't, right? aren't that. So people say, well, yeah, obviously it matters. Like you idiots. Yes, because yes, the corp- yes. something, it's like corp- off the farm. That corporation is making profit. Right. And okay, so a lot of wages and stuff are staying in here. But net profits, after all is said and done, yep. are going overseas. Yeah. So there's a few things to be said. The first is that over the uh, Australia as we know it and, and since um, – Modern Australia. I won't get into into you know words about what it is or what it wasn't on in 1788. But mm-hmm. in terms of modern Australia as we know it, it was financed by foreign investment. Yeah, we don't. Ha- the, the modern Australia doesn't exist without the best part of. Well, we're all living in shacks. If, well, it's it's two hundred years of foreign investment. We are still yeah. net importing capital into the country. In other words, yeah. the things that have have created economic success, growth, wealth in this country, wealth for you know for us for most Australians, right? Right, and yeah. so that, and that comes from. Investments in the country by others who had the money. Yes. For us who had the desire, will, opportunity, but not the cash yeah. to actually exploit that growth. And yeah. so part of what's allowed us to become a modern developed economy for all those things that are still negative and positive about that. There are mm-hmm. there are drawbacks, obviously. Yeah, of course. But we've got here specifically by taking money from overseas, putting it to good use here, employing Australians, making things, exporting things. The money that was generated, the wealth that was generated by that capital investment gets redeployed in the country, mm-hmm. and that's how it works. We have a business, a country, a country that has grown because businesses have invested. Yeah. The second thing is, this is not just one way. Mm-hmm. You know, we all like to think the that point, yeah. the foreign investment somehow them taking over us. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the, and we, you know, the us versus them stuff works again instinctively. We all get that, right? There's yeah. us and there's them, and us is more important than them. And so that's kind of from tribal days, that's what we've done. Yeah. I own some Berkshire Hathaway shares. What? I have I know. So I have made a foreign investment in the United States. And and that's exactly what happens when any Australian company, any Australian investor, any Australian individual mm. goes and puts money into an overseas organization because they want to invest in that as well. And so wait a sec, don't we have like a, a a big fund that's owned by all Australian the future fund or right. something? Does that have money invested overseas? It does indeed. It well, doesn't that doesn't that seems a little bit <laughs> Hypocritical, doesn't if you've, it? If you've watched, if you've watched TV during the Jashes campaign, mm. it was sponsored by Magellan, the financial fund manager, who has almost all of its assets invested overseas. This mm. is, this is what happens in a modern economy, and so I think we very. You know, and the third thing, very quickly, is guess what? If I want to buy something from you from a buck, mm-hmm. and someone from overseas offers you a dollar ten, wait a sec, where's the other bloke from? Doesn't matter. Well. <laughs> No, of course it doesn't. Get matter. off your high horse. So, so no, I like it. That it was good. Uh, but here's the thing, right? So if, if he pays you more than I want to, mm-hmm. then you, our net wealth as a country actually increases. Yeah. So if we're selling assets overseas for a higher price than others want to pay for them, mm. that actually generates wealth. We're taking money. We're taking wealth from overseas. Yeah. You're selling off your thing for a dollar ten, whatever it was that we were selling. Mm. 
And now you've got more money than you had previously. So that wealth of the assets being bought from Australians, as long as we're mm. selling at a decent price, it's actually creating value because we're taking a higher price from someone else than what you would have received internally. Now that can, yes, for those who are listening, yelling at the the, the uh, iPod or iPhone or whatever the things are, that can be overdone. There are times when you can let foreign investment go too far at too low a price and you can sell strategic assets. There are reasons why there should be sensible limitations or guidelines put on foreign investment. Only a make sure. feels in absolutes, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say. Sorry, continue. I had to nerd out there for a second. Go. The, go the Sith may not move, move right invest in Australia. <laughs> so, yes, the Sith happens to apparently deal in absolutes, which is fine. What Andrew's trying to say is that uh, there there is nuance, which is important. Instant regret, hashtag. Uh, yes. And so that's the point. Yeah. Foreign, I, 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 foreign investment is good. We buy some of their stuff. We sell them some of our stuff. Foreign trade is good. The, the, the whole idea of the whole you know xenophobic kind of weird... They're bad, we're good stuff. I get how, why people feel like that. It's a natural inclination. We mm. all have it as part of our evolutionary makeup. But when you get past that and realize that we are much, much wealthier because of foreign investment and foreign trade, as are the other countries we deal with, there is a net benefit to everybody from foreign investment and foreign trade. And we should always, always remember that. Here's a question for you. It's a little bit off topic, but I have oh, to no. ask it. Is it about property again? Uh, oh, uh, no. It, it almost <laughs> was there when you prompted me, but no, I won't Good be. Good man, well done. So there's always two sides to every trade. And uh, you always got to ask, you know, if someone's selling you something, mm -hmm. what's in it for them? Has Kraft looked at Vegemite and gone, I want to get rid of this dog? Yeah. Or, you know, what if, if this is the golden goose uh, or the 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 black stinky pasty goose <laughs> why why have they why have they sold it back that's a good question and i think um oh, i mean i guess i i don't know the deal close enough right but i'm, I'm just saying that, that, that potentially that you know while a lot of people might be celebrating it it might have, potentially maybe it's not such a great thing for Australia. if we've been sold a lemon i don't think you know i mean Economically speaking, as opposed to the brand uh, uh, icon type. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I think this. I mean, that's a really, really big question, and so it comes down to you know what what, is, I, I what role does it have? No, no, <laughs> no. What role does Vegemite have in, in Kraft's portfolio, mm -hmm. for example? And in fact, to, to confuse it slightly, the international businesses of Kraft are now owned by a company called Mondelez. Right. Um, and so you know they, they simply chose not to. They didn't want to be in in packaged food in the Australian market. Okay. So Bigger said, well, we'll take it. Thanks very much. Right. And this is, again, a story where there's win-win on both sides, right? So Bigger needed more scale. Mm -hmm. Mondelez, the business they had wasn't big enough for them. Mm -hmm. So they get to win by freeing themselves of a distraction. Mm -hmm. And Bigger actually take a, a, a large piece of business for them and actually bulk their business up and help them compete better against some of those international rivals, by the way. So it literally was, there are cases, as much as we laugh about win-wins as somehow you know, weird consultant speak. There are circumstances where it's actually good for both parties because both get what they want in a way that actually makes sense. I think with both. trade in general, that has been true since we were swapping flint stone heads for animal skins, right? Like there's always been a a win-win in, in, you know, to differing degrees, but yeah. since since trade was invented. Yeah. I All think right. the best way to finish this up, mate, is to, is to ask, do you speak a my language? <laughs> I'm just going to smile and give you a Vegemite sandwich. There we go. There we go. That's what you guys pay us for, is this humour and wit and... <laughs> get paid substance no oh, okay. hypothetically oh okay people right. who thought we okay well, no. just checking get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m so mate let's talk a bit about some investment myths was that all sing the song again i wasn't gonna do that no, please don't um so 
and we thought this was good because we, we like to sort of have a little fun with some real nonsense kind of sayings out there in the financial world. And there is no shortage of them. But there's a lot of really, really good ones as well. And we are as guilty as anyone <laughs> as parroting these things because yep. they make a great well, deal of sense. Yes and no. I don't know there is guilt necessarily. Well, as with everything as yes. with international trade and investment yes. and the rest of it there are there is subtlety there is context the world is not a very simple place where everything falls neatly in boxes you're not a person i associate with subtlety in context <laughs> that's all i hide it's, <laughs> i hide it well mate and 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 i thought it came up because we, we often hear people quoting these these very well-intentioned mm. um, uh, sayings, yeah. um, but then taking the exact wrong lesson from it. So yes. I'm going to run through a couple right. of them. and uh, I'll they, give you the, the, the wit and wisdom and value of my wisdom. Anyway, uh, you, well, going, or going. you can just answer, okay, and, I'll and, I'll and then I'll, I'll give the real answer. <laughs> so the, the, the first one, which I like, and this comes from Peter Lynch, yes. is... Buy what you know. Makes sense, right? Well, he's basically saying if you go into a, I think his his original example was if you go into a, a Starbucks and there's a huge line there and everyone's really happy, that business is obviously doing something right, so you should buy it. Yeah. And so this is the, the this is the, what Makes we're going to talk through as we talk about these is is where they are right and wrong. Right. Now, and this is the problem with all of these things. We have a human desire, need, whatever you want to call it, to condense things down to the most simple form and then mm -hmm. parrot them as if. There is no nuance or context. And then people say, that's obviously wrong with mm. no nuance and context. So mm. you end up with this really weird kind of, you know, ridiculous argument where two people are trying to argue the extremes of both, as you've already mentioned, the Sith thing. The Sith. Was that? <laughs> Whatever you want to say. They're, they're, it's the opposite of the Jedi for those playing. Whatever you want to say about the whole. Oh, the only a Sith deals in absolutes. Yeah. So, so let's assume that made sense to most people and Andrew wasn't spending too much time with sci-fi and... The reality no is, such thing is too much Peter Lynch saying, buy what you know is absolutely right and absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. And to hold those to their extremes is stupid yeah. in the extreme. Yep. So what Lynch was saying was, and this is, this is still very much the case, and I'll give you a concrete example in a minute, mm -hmm. is as you go through your life, you will come across things that frankly give the retail investor an opportunity normally over and above the professional investor who doesn't necessarily move in the same circles. Mm -hmm. If you're down at the local Westfield and you happen to see what people are buying, if yeah. you happen to see what ads are on the side of buses, what products people are using, what your partner or, or, or kids or parents bring home, mm -hmm. going through life exposes you to a whole lot of different products. And if you have a mind to keep yourself aware of that, you're kind of looking at the brand of shirt that the bloke's wearing mm -hmm. or the phone he's carrying mm -hmm. or the music he's listening to or the shoot sneakers he's buying or et cetera, et cetera. Right? You get the idea. And so Lynch says, if you sort of start to see those things a couple of times, mm -hmm. It's a starting point for research. You see those people walking out of the shop, as you say, Andrew, and you say, yeah. a lot of people are going into that shop at the moment. I, mm. wonder, I wonder if that's publicly listed. Oh, it is. Okay. Let me go and have a look at that. There's every chance it's small, it's new, or its mm. growth is new. Mm -hmm. It's doing something different. Mm -hmm. And it's going to come across your radar far, far earlier than the professional investors. And then, as Lynch would say, before the price has been bid up because the news isn't yet baked into the price. Mm -hmm. And so that's the buy what you know piece. It's not buy everything you know because you know it. Yeah. It's look for those opportunities where you, where you see something in your life that give you an edge, give you an opportunity to go and do more research and find a great idea. Howard Marks would talk about second level thinking here. So first level Howard thinking. Howard Marks being? Uh, a really cool investor over in the US. 
Um, he has a wonderful book um, called The Most Important Thing. Yes, which we is list a, about 84 most important things. Which is which is the kind of the gag there. Yep. But, it, but yep. it, is, it is a must read in my view. One of the best investment books Very out there. And, and I actually underlined, I kept underlining stuff. On, I, I was, it's hard to actually read that book because he made so much sense so frequently. Yeah, yeah. That I kind of have to keep stopping and going, yeah, yeah, It's that's the kind right, of book you can right. read again and again and always take right. something from it. So The Most Important Thing. The Most Important Thing. Um, You've completely made me lose my train of thought. Do you like the way I did that? I, no, it I wasn't, don't. It wasn't intentional. I don't. Uh, so look, uh, let me let me pick it up again and see you, you think of what it was. So look, Lynch is saying, you know, he's not saying buy everything you know. The reverse also isn't true. But people say, well, then you can't buy everything you know, therefore don't buy anything you know. The truth is in the middle, which is Lynch is saying, this is a great point to start doing some research and finding those undercover or uncovered, I should say, companies that the big end of town doesn't yet know about. So we're going from first order to second order thinking, going beyond the peripheral. Nice. And I will give you a single example. And oh, yes. this, is, this is an example from my own personal life and thankfully mm -hmm. for our members, uh, one that made some money for us is corporate travel management. Yeah. I used that. Uh, we, I was working at a, at a vitamin company at the time, mm -hmm. uh, rhymes with Blackmore's. Um, and, and when I was there, we used their, their booking system. Yeah. And so I was like, this is cool. Yeah. And so when I started, when I changed jobs, I joined the Motley Fool, I started looking at it, I was like, oh, I don't remember that company. Yeah, yeah they were really good. Yeah. I'll do a bit more research into that. Now that's 10 bags since we bought it, give yeah. or take. So that's, that's been a really good, strong result. And it was not one that most people were buying. It wasn't mm -hmm. across most people's radar. Mm -hmm. It was reasonably small. Mm -hmm. But it kind of, I knew the product. I knew it worked well. I knew people liked doing it. I got the advantages Great of it instinctively. Point. Yep. And it was great. And that's exactly the I'll give you. Point. I'll give the counterfactual. I uh, remember when Krispy Kreme came to Australia. I do. And there were just lines around the corner. I mean, anyone observing that would think, my God, this company is just on fire. Yeah. And whoever sort of owns the Australian rights that I don't think has done that well. You can only really get them in 7-Eleven <laughs> right. these days in a few airport sort of outlets. Yeah, and what the was supposed to be the so, biggest thing ever. You know, it's but a that, great starting point, right. but, but don't end there. Well, I think we've, we've, we've made the point. Rule, rule, uh, uh, second, second myth, um, which, is, which is probably the one that is, is, is most bastardized, which is Warren Buffett. He has these rules of investing. Rule number one? Rule number one is don't lose money. Uh, what's rule number two? Rule number two is don't forget rule number one. <laughs> And ah, so he did uh, He's very clever. Hey, hey. Very clever. He's, he's not the second, third richest man in the in the universe for nothing. <laughs> um, and it makes sense. But but people will say this all the time. They'll say, "Well, okay, great." And they they'll they'll do a bit of research. They'll find a company that they really like. Right. They buy it. Lo and behold, next week it's down five percent. They go, ah, bugger it. <laughs> Buffett said, don't lose money. And I just I've, went, I just lost money. Therefore, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm, I've, ah, I failed the test. I lost, I forgot about rule one and rule two. Unbelievable. I'm so getting up. I'm out. It's just, it is craziness. And Buffett has lost plenty of money in his life. Uh, he has made some terrible, stink investments. He's lost more money than you and I will ever make. In, in, by many, many orders of magnitude. And But that, and he violates his own rule then. Well, no. So what... <laughs> What he's really sort of saying here is not don't ever expect, you know, the, the mark to market price of your assets never to be below their, 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 your purchase price. Don't go into Jingo land. Dude. Sorry, dude. It's hard. To, it's hard not to, but he's, he's really, he's really talking about this idea of, well, actually, can you take it over for me? Because yeah, sure. I'm going to, I'm going to use a whole bunch of jargon. <laughs> you. I'm going to find it very hard to believe. Help me out. So here's the thing. Buffett is basically saying, approach your investments as if you don't want to lose money overall. In other words, consider the risks of what you're doing in the context of the returns. And don't, he also says, don't go back to square number one, which is the same kind of idea, right? Which is basically saying, when you're investing, don't you know, invest as if you don't want to lose money. But He's no one wants to lose money, though. But it's, it's, it's the approach, right? So some people will say, some people say, well, I might lose money. I might make money. I'll, I'll have a go. Mm. You know, Buffett is, and that's always possible, of course, but it's the, it's the approach you take, which is to say, I'm going to put the odds as firmly in my favor as I possibly can. 
and and try to over time with a diversified portfolio, et cetera, et cetera, build a portfolio that ends up with more money than I started with without taking stupid risks that require me to go back to square one. I think what's interesting too, I was trying to think of a better way to say it, but I think he's approaching a lot of his investments by not focusing on what he can potentially make, but by focusing on what the potential downside might be right. as well. And there's you really want that 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 investment where there's a real asymmetry there. There's there's no investment on the face of the earth where there's no there's no risk of losing money. Yep. But there there are some where the upside is much bigger than the downside. So he's yep. really sort of focused, saying, you know, focus on that as well, you know. And if you are going to be wrong and you're going to be wrong a lot, make sure that it's not the kind of wrong that is going to send you broke. Yep. It's not going to make you really wipe wipe yourself out. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is, again, in the context of his partner, Charlie Munger, saying we're looking for horses that have got a one and two chance of winning, but are paying three to one. Yes. Now, they, they know full well there will be losses. Buffett's bought businesses that have subsequently gone bankrupt. So this is not, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not, it's not a foreign concept to him, mm. but he's just, he's saying, take, use your approach as, as if you don't want to lose money. How do you, how do you avoid losing money as much as possible and putting the odds as much in your favor as you can? Those who would say, well, he always said don't lose money. Either A, Buffett's wrong, which is stupid, or B, I'm no good because I lost money, which is also mm. stupid. Mm. It's that point in between of Buffett is giving you a rule of thumb as a way to approach your investing, not a cast iron rule that either makes him or you stupid as a result. And losing money, it doesn't count on short-term volatility being, you know, p- pushing things a little bit down. Or even one stock out of 20. Yeah. You know, I, you know we, I've, I've made stock picks for share advice that have lost decent amounts of money overall. The service itself is doing incredibly well. Um, which is no guarantee of future performance, as we always should say. Mm. Uh, but you know, despite the losers, almost because of the losers, because of the way we invest, it's it's approaching it in a way that makes the odds of success most strongly in your favour, given the risks you're taking. Another Buffett quote yes. is, be fearful when others are greedy. And be greedy when others are fearful. And it makes a lot of sense. All Mr. about being Mr. contrarian. Mr. Buffett has, has uh, through, he's, he is old enough to have been through many cycles. Yes. Uh, the GFC, perhaps the most recent one, and mm-hmm. he was kid in a candy store. He's buying up all kinds of things. He yep. was, you know, Berkshire had a whole bunch of cash, no debt. And he was being very greedy when others were fearful. Go back another eight years before that, and during the 99-2000.com boom and bust, mm-hmm. the number of articles saying Buffett had lost it, he wasn't cut out for this new world. He's not investing in tech. Yep. Yeah. And well, worked we out pretty well for him. Worked out really. He was, he was very fearful when everyone else was greedy. Right. As with all of these things, makes a great deal of sense. Here's where it gets bastardized, is people will, will, will again, comes back to this first and second order thinking. They'll see a company going up, and therefore think, well, everyone likes it at the moment. Therefore, yeah. I'm going to stay away. That's right. Conversely, I'll buy when the price falls. You know, shares, yeah. shares are going. I'll come back to, I'm going to come back to that on my rent. Uh, <laughs> other, other times you see share prices falling. Yep. And people go, well, you know, um, everyone's being fearful. So I'm going to buy in. Now, again, as mm-hmm. with the buy what you know, it is a good place to start. Yes. But it really is going to, is going to throw you a curveball here. So, yes. Be fearful when others are greedy, but don't lose sight of what it is you are buying. Don't yeah. lose sight of the value potential that you of the asset that you're looking at. You know, um, if you're going to buy everything that falls, there are a lot of things that fall mm. for very good reason and never recover. Yeah. There's a lot of things that go up only to keep going up. You know, the person who was who was trying to be very fearful when Amazon was at a hundred bucks <laughs> has right. not done well, and yeah, that's exactly. our favorite example. But there's a gazillion of them. But so. You know, the thing about Amazon is you only need one Amazon in your life. Like yeah. to the extent that yes, the single example people say, well, excluding that, everything's X. It's like, yeah. well, you don't have to exclude that by definition. Yeah. So there's the, let, 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 and here's here's one more before we, we better move on, which <laughs> is a great saying, and I use it all the time, which is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yes. Talking about diversification. Yes. You know, you got ten thousand to invest. Don't run out and put it in 
Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> don't run out and put it in one stock. That is really dumb because there is always a potential that it goes south. Right. And if it does, well, you know, you've dropped the whole basket. All your eggs are gone. Now, it, I want to I want to point this one out by giving the exact opposite, okay. which is put all of your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket like a hawk. Yeah, nice. And yeah. so the, the and Buffett himself to, to throw a third one in. Um, I want to say that he said something like diversification. Diversification. No, that's, that's Lynch. Oh, diversification. okay. okay. Um, diversification is people who don't know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, so the yeah, whole that's now, and, that's, yeah. and we would absolutely say, it, it, for most people, Buffett is, air quotes, wrong, mm-hmm. but also exactly dead right. And this is the problem about all of these, those three quotes we've just thrown at you. Again, the extremes are the problem. This is the, the overwhelming message throughout this, this section is don't, you know, take the, take the intended lesson. You know, people who want to look at just the, the black and white words and say, aha, that means X, well, that's mm-hmm. wrong because Y. Mm-hmm. You're completely missing the point. Look at the intended lesson. Look at the point that's trying to be made. If you want to score some smart-ass brownie points by saying, ha, he's wrong, well, fine. But if you want to make money, how about think about it instead? And so as you think about that, the, the, the message here is, Neither is neither is necessarily true for most people. Who even some people are listening to this, buy an index fund or a couple of index funds. Go fishing, do your own thing, be diversified. Because, frankly, not all of us know as much of what, about what we're doing as we should. Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't service my own car. I, I I'm not capable of doing that. So, you know, would I would I? You know, someone said to me, "Well, getting a mechanic is only for people who don't know what they're doing." Mm. Exactly. That's yeah. That's exactly the yeah, point. Yeah. One hundred If you don't know or don't care to know what you're doing, by all means, diversify. So, yes move your eggs in more than one basket. On the flip side, being arbitrarily diversified for the hell of it, if you actually do have or want to develop the ability to pick stocks, mm. just costs you potential returns. So, and it's just again, a whole bunch of work for not much upside. If I'm going to exactly. buy 50 companies, exactly. I'm probably going to underperform the market. Right. It's going to cost me a bunch in brokerage and I'm just going to be a very, very busy individual. Maybe right, I'm right. the kind of guy who just loves doing that kind of stuff, which yep. is fine. But if you're not, it is a lot of work for, for no real payoff. You can you can be over-diversified. Exactly. And so that, that's, the, that's the story there is, yes, both are right. <laughs> be diversified, but also don't be over-diversified. Don't diversify for the hell of it if you're capable of doing more than that. Um, you know, choose wisely, understand why both those points are being made and then set your position accordingly, being thoughtful about what the intent is, not just what the black and white words on a page might say. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate, let's open up the mailbag. Oh, let's. We've got uh, two good ones here today. I can't even uh, think of a good sound effect. Ready? Rip. No, it doesn't. <laughs> So I've got some paper to tear. I've got paper to tear. This is terrible. You can we'll be a foley out. artist with, with those kind of sound effects. That is just <laughs> awesome. That's not a foley artist, is this? Uh, oh, since you with your bloody clip-clop horse. <laughs> Don't give me foley artists. Yeah, but I do brief. it well. Let's admit it. So Victor Gung's uh, written in, and we, we, we do appreciate it. And he right, says, you've been listening to the, pod, uh, the podcast. Would love to hear Thank your you, thoughts on portfolio rebalancing. Yes. Uh, excellent question. He says, uh, for example, I've got some lithium stocks that are over 20% of my portfolio. How mm-hmm. do I plan to hold... I, I, however, I do plan to hold them longer. Any suggestions? Yep. Uh, well, this is this is there's a lot of things to say here, um, mm-hmm. and we'll go through it as, as quickly as we can without without skipping the, the important bits. And that is is that yes, you do need to think about rebalancing, but you don't want to overthink it. You you will find that just through the, the, the varying performance of your individual shares. Let's say I buy to make it make the maths easy. I take $10,000, I buy $1,000 in 10 separate companies, 
I'm nice and diversified. I've got, you know, 10% in each one. At the end of the first year, some will go up, some will go down. I might find that one company is now worth 20% of my portfolio. Mm. One is going to one and it's going to all make, you know, that is not the portfolio that I would build today <laughs> if I was starting from scratch. So there is definitely a case to be made for having a look and and selling down some of the high mm. weighting ones mm. um, purely from a risk exposure perspective yep. and maybe bulking up some of the smaller ones if you still believe in the case. Um, uh, however, I would say you can you can over finesse. If this is something you're going to do every week, mm. you are just going to drive yourself mad, and you're going to you're going to basically put your broker's kids through college. <laughs> uh, you know, it, yep. it, it is ridiculous. You, yep. You're never going to get it perfect, so, so don't overthink it. Yep. What would you say? I would echo some of what you said. I'm going to I'm going to just take a, a different approach for a mm-hmm. second, which is thinking about how much risk you're taking and how much return you're likely to earn based on the portfolio size you have mm-hmm. uh, and and the makeup of those companies within it. So it, I don't know that I would suggest anybody have more than 20% of their portfolio in a particular sector. In this case, this is a subsector. Mm-hmm. Lithium as a, as a share of resources, a share of the total market. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that is, but it's probably something like two or three, but no, it's not even that. It's probably half a percent of yeah. the market. Probably even less than less, that. Less, maybe. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think... This is, you, you, it's a very big weight. Victor, you're making an enormous bet here on a particular set of outcomes with a particular and singular set of um, assumptions. Mm-hmm. And if those assumptions come true, you will be you'll do very, very well. If those assumptions go badly, you'll do very, very poorly. It was only this morning that I saw on Twitter um, from our own, our own Twitter account, actually, so I should probably not reference myself that way. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But I, 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 saw, I saw the Motley Fool said on Twitter, it sounds a bit like... This guy in the mirror said <laughs> to me this morning... <laughs> He's a very smart bloke, that bloke yes, in the mirror. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's very good looking too. Do you know what? Prince, Massive tangent. Prince William has finally joined the club. Of what? He shaved his head. He did. I now have the official Prince William haircut. Hey, there you Speaking go. Speaking of the bloke in the mirror. Anyway, that's a massive tangent. <laughs> that that, was, that was last week, by the way. So back back I, on topic, please. It's all about me. Uh, <laughs> so look, I, I would be really, really worried about anybody who, who was taking a, a high risk um, portfolio approach when it comes to a particular set of outcomes. With a particular set of companies, I, I do think I, we can't give personal advice, of course, but I would say anyone with twenty percent of their stocks in lithium, or their portfolio sorry, in lithium stocks, um, is taking way more risk than I would be comfortable with personally, and I would suggest our members take. Um, if it comes off well, you feel like a genius, and you'll say, "Ha ha, Scott, I told you so." If it goes badly, though, you, you know they they could halve or worse. Um, what I was about to say, sorry, on Twitter was that um, the balance of supply and demand is supposed to come in check by next year, I think, yeah. or the year after, yeah. if and when that happens. Um, like we saw with iron ore, the iron ore price was 140 bucks a ton, then 40 soon after. Um, the price of a whole lot of iron ore miners absolutely cratered as a result. I, I can't, I can't help but, but adding on to that. And and, and um, not having a got Victor here, he's probably done very well because yeah, the yeah, totally. stocks have, have gone up a lot. Yeah, That's probably yeah. why it's 20%. Exactly. You know, um, and and so excellent. But the, the thesis tends to be, and this um, this is not necessarily the case for Victor, but for a lot of people I hear is that, you know, we're going to have a lot of electric cars, we're going to have a lot of these batteries, you know, everyone's right. going to need lithium. And I think that's actually right. true. But the trouble is, is that there's a lot of lithium around. Um, it might, a lot of it's still in the ground, but laws yep. of supply and demand will mean that that is going, you know, it, it is very unlikely in five years time that the majority of these lithium companies are going to be doing well. Because yeah. what we know is with, with the iron ore we price, when the iron ore price skyrocketed, a whole lot of supply came on stream to meet that price, mm. which by definition pushes the price down. That's, yep. that's kind of how economies, economics are supposed to work. And yep. so um, economies work on that basis too. Airlines is my favorite go-to example here. If I told you that in 1975, there'd be a 40x growth in, in air travel, mm. you'd buy every airline stock you could find. You've done incredibly badly, not because the trend was wrong, 
but because it wasn't commercially possible to make a lot of money doing it. So, Victor, yes, you probably to Henry's point, you probably made a lot of money, and, and congratulations. I, I would suggest for anybody listening, having more than three, five percent in those sort of speculative in areas in general, area, yeah. I think is, is is a dangerous place to be for your portfolio. Um, again, maybe it does well, maybe it does badly. The trade-off isn't worth it, right? Talk about going back to square one. I wouldn't do it. Okay, mate. We've done it again. Um, we'll hold some of these mailbags across till next week. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I'm going to indulge myself here. <laughs> and it's, it's time to talk high horse. Oh, dear. And our producer stop, leaves away so we don't get the sound effects. So it's not All nearly right. as fun without, uh, without the sound effects. But I want to talk a bit about... There we go. What if that comes through? I'm not sure. There's the That's folly. my hand there's on the desk. The, there's the folly artist hey, hey. Uh, at play. Uh, uh, you hear this term all the time, buying on the dips. Yeah. Something going up very well, fantastic. Nothing goes up in a straight line, so yep. it's in a sort of sawtooth in, in, in its general upward direction. Yeah. And people will say, well, look, you've, you've missed out on some of the gains, but you know, you'll get a chance to buy on the dips, right. i.e. when the price pulls back a why, little bit. Why wouldn't I? If the price has gone 50 or 100, if I can buy at 95 when the price falls, why wouldn't I? Well, you would. I had to pay full price. Mate, well, mate, if you knew for sure that that's where it was going to dip down to and reverse and then go up higher from Well, no, there, I don't. But when it eventually dips, I might as well buy it then because then at least I know I'm getting a better price than well, it was. There's, 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 there's two things. First, by the time it dips, it might only come back to a point that's still higher than it is now. And that's often going to be true. Right. Second, even when it is dipping, you don't know. It's easy to look back in hindsight and go, oh, look, that was a dip. A dip is something by definition that is only perceivable in hindsight. Right, because it needs to go back up for it to be a dip. At this point in time, if something's gone up from 50 to 100 bucks and now it's pulled back to 90, Hmm. I don't know if that's a dip. It might go to 80. It might go to 70. It might go back to zero. Or it could bounce from here. I don't know it's a dip. So it's one of these pointless things. And all that matters really is, am I paying a sensible price for this asset? Which we say again and again and again and again. Whether it's, you know, if you had bought, uh, I don't know, Woolies uh, a school year years ago and you'd paid $8 for it yep. and some other bloke had paid nine fifty for it, guess what? You've both done really well. Has, has the bloke, the bloke <laughs> who bought it at the lower price done better? Yes, of course he has. You know, could have, could have he perhaps, the guy at $9 been a bit clever and maybe got a bit lucky and maybe bought at a price that, you know, after he bought it, maybe it came down 10, 15%. He had an ch- opportunity to buy then. Well, thanks, Captain Hindsight. <laughs> That's wonderful. But it doesn't matter and yeah. it doesn't preclude good returns. And the bloke who didn't buy at nine fifty because he was waiting for $9 that never came and he missed out on the price tripling up after that. Stupid. Right. Mate, we wrap it up. <laughs> Happy Australia Day Thank to you. everyone and you, listening and to yourself, of course, Scott. Thank you, mate. Um, uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to Triple M's Motley Fool Money podcast through your favourite Android podcast app or even iTunes. And you should. And you can also get a little bit of extra dose of foolishness. Foolish, foolishness. Fool.com.au slash Triple M. We're not known for elocution, are we? Hey, before you finish off, if people want to get in touch with us, go to Twitter, at The Motley Fool AU, all one word. I'm at TMF Scott P. That's The Motley Fool Scott Phillips, TMF Scott P. And you are at? At Sage underscore Simeon. Sage Simeon. Just, just deal with it, okay? I I, I chose it. (laughs) I'm stuck with it. It is what it is. (laughs) And I just love mentioning it because it's sure just do. fun. You sure do. Send us a, send us a tweet. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We will do some more mailbag next week. Uh, but please hit us up because we love answering your questions. Awesome. Until next week, full on. Full on. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.